ton of money today. I'll take a personal cut, and then from that, so we'll just subtract that one of our weekly expenses are if we give a ton, and we'll give as much as we possibly can. I just want you to know that. Um, if, you, uh, if, you, if you did not come ready to give it all today, um, let me say you can give online. You can go online to our website, and you can give through that. So if you really want to give through that, if you didn't raise any today, you can do that too. So I'll kind of hold, we'll hold off on writing the check, but if you don't get it done by the end of the day, then but, uh, but we'll wait for you today. So I just want to really let you know that's what we're going to try to do for, for those guys and for all those people. Um, so here we go. Uh, any of you guys ever walked out of I got a booming out here anyway. Um, any of you guys ever walked out of your house and and you, like here in New Orleans, not when you lived anywhere else, you walked out of your house and you went, you just smelled this overwhelming smell. Anybody got that? Does anybody know what that is? The neighbor's dog? All right. I don't think that's what it is at my house. Sometimes at my house, I walk outside and there is a garbage-like smell. And I don't think it's my garbage, but anyway, um, I have no idea what that smell is. Jess thinks that it's the, a plant, and I think that it's just trash. I got no idea, right? But anyway, sometimes I walk outside, there's this overwhelming smell. It reminds me, almost every time, the very first time that, that Jess and I came here, we were trying to decide where, you know, where we were going to move after we graduated from college and where we are going to come here, where we are going to go somewhere else. We just went to, to Louisville and we visited up there. We visited the seminary there and it was, it was really nice there. They have like the most parks per capita of any city in the U.S. or something beautiful like that. I don't know what it was, but something great. We went up there, we visited, and, and we weren't like huge fans of everything there, but it was really pretty, you know. We came here the next weekend, and we, we were super excited to come down. We got off the interstate. We were in Gentilly, and uh, we got off the interstate. We got to the bottom of the exit, and we were, we were excited. We let the windows down, and we were just going to cruise the seminary, and just whoosh. It came, and it hit us. It was like, welcome to the city. It stinks, you know? And um, so, so we came in. It's not like that all the time, but it was that particular day. There was just this big smell that hit us. And we were like, God, please don't call us here to the stinky place. And um, six and a half years later, we're still here. Um, but for all the smells of the city, none of those are, are quite as bad. You haven't smelled, if you think that, that there's some sort of a stink here, if you know what smell I'm talking about. Um, you have not smelled stink until you've lived in the country across from chicken houses. Anybody? Anybody ever lived across from chicken houses? I know of one for sure that has lived across from chicken houses, second row here. Uh, Jess spent much of her childhood across the street from some chicken houses, and you have not smelled stink until you've woke up in the morning and the breeze has, has just come sweeping over those chicken houses and greeted you right at your front door. And as for as good as, as fresh-cooked, well-seasoned chicken may be, when that chicken was alive, it was very, very stinky. And um, I, I think about all that, and, and, I, and think about this. Um, I, I'm going to tell you a story today about, uh, uh, that relates to us. And, uh, and there was this, if I told you, we might not be here were it not for a meeting in a real stinky barn. 
And, and that is absolutely some truth for us today because in 1806, there were a group of five college students. If you know church history or you took church history um, at, in any sort of college or anything like that, you probably heard the story. In 1806, there were a group of five college students from Williams College, and they began meeting in a field right next to a barn. A field filled with animals, a barn filled with animals, a very stinky place. And when you read some of their notes about it, they say that you could smell it stunk in there. And they met in there. We call those meetings the Haystack Prayer Meeting. A group of five college students met in right outside of this barn in this field to pray for the spiritual welfare of the people of Asia. So they meet and they, and they begin to pray for these people. I don't know why these college students felt the need to go to a barn. Maybe dorms didn't have common areas at that time. But one, one reason or another, they find their way to this, this field next to this barn. They begin to pray. And pretty soon, about four years later, they start an organization and, and they send their first missionary to India. And then they send another missionary to China, another one to Hawaii. And, and they started this movement that hadn't existed before then of American churches sending missionaries. And, and from there birthed tons of missions organizations that would go on to send missionaries throughout the world. Now you live in the country that sends more Christian missionaries than any other country in the world. And before the haystack prayer meeting in this stinky field next to this stinky barn, no one was sending any missionaries. This church was planted as a result of people in this country giving to missions um, this church was planted in some ways as a result of a missionary that was trained and approved by a mission-sending agency that has really deep roots in this haystack prayer meeting. And what I think is, is pretty cool, what I can guarantee you of, is that anywhere there's a great movement of God, sort of like the missions movement in the United States that began a long time ago, anywhere there's a great movement of God. In, in China, where there are tons of people coming to faith in Christ, despite a government that absolutely tries to censor and forbid all things Christianity, anywhere there's a great movement of God, uh, there is absolutely, if you trace it back and you, and you do your research and you dig into some church history, what you're going to find as you go back and back and further back is you're going to find that there was one person or a group of people face down praying fervently for God to do something. You're going to find that if you trace back this church and you're going to find that if you, if you trace back every great movement, you're going to find that it began with some people praying. When we began this very church, we were not ready by any stretch of the imagination. We weren't ready. We're probably still really not ready. Um, but we prayed for God to do this great work. Um, infrastructure was not in place. We didn't really, we thought we knew what we were doing. We didn't. If you come here every week, you know that we still don't really know what we're doing. We just kind of suffer through it all and you suffer through it, but it, it turns out okay. But we really didn't know what we were doing, but we just prayed that God would do something big. And I believe God who clouded the minds of otherwise wise decision makers and uh, and they decided that, hey, we'll help give you some money to help get you off the ground. And so we were already kind of meeting, but they gave us a little bit of money, probably not very wise to help us get off the ground. Um, we didn't get any more money, but what God did do is he, he caused a, a restaurant chain to really struggle so that they would be willing to let us meet there for really cheap you know, in the Fox and Hound. And so, uh, so they let us meet there for like next to nothing. And uh, all of that happened not as a result of 
Adam, Claire, Tiffany, Chris, Jessica, Jennifer, Josh, Jeremy, Molly, those were all the people that were here when we very first started. And it wasn't a result of, of those people doing great things. It was a result of some people just praying that God would begin this work, and then God began the work. And every great movement of God, if I can dare to say that Live Oak Church is a great movement of God, every great movement of God began because some people started to pray. As we jump into, into the Word, Jeremiah 33 is where we're going to be today, if you want to flip over there. As we get ready to jump into the Word, here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you, firstly, that I don't believe that God is finished here. And by here, I mean with this church body, with Live Oak Church. But i got to be honest, sometimes it seems like my prayer life kind of seems like God is finished. Sometimes it kind of seems like starting the church was the big thing, like that was the finish line, and continuing on is just kind of extra. Because in the beginning, I prayed so much for you guys, even though I didn't know that you would be here. Some of you guys, I hoped you would be here. Not that I didn't hope some of you would be here, but I just didn't know. But but I mean, I prayed so much for this church and so much for all of you. And and now sometimes I pray like, like the big job has already been done. So what I hope to do, and Rob's going to preach next week, what, what we hope to do over the course of the next three weeks is just kind of begin to pray together again. And, and, and I just invite you to, to come along with me and just to give prayer another shot. And not prayer like, Jesus, I pray for Mama because she's sick, and, and you nodded off to sleep, like what usually happens when you try to pray at night, right? Um, and, and it's great to pray for Mom when she's sick, but I don't mean give that kind of prayer shot. And I don't mean give prayer shot like, Lord Jesus, we pray for this food, and we pre-ask for forgiveness for the gluttony that's about to happen here. You know, Not that kind of thing, right? Even though it's good to pray for the sin that you may commit or whatever, right? But not necessarily that kind of prayer. I want you to give honest prayer another shot. Give the idea that when you pray, something real is absolutely going to happen. Because if I would venture to say that if you were totally honest, you would say that prayer has great psychological value. It makes me feel better in my mind. It makes me feel like I got some kind of, like something going on around me. Maybe maybe I can feel better about it. But when it comes to prayer and God actually moving time and space and real things happening as a result of my prayer, I don't really see that happening all that much. And I know that when Jesus prayed, like I think there may be some power in prayer. When Jesus prayed, real big things happened. But when I pray, I have never been able to say very clearly that was God. It could not have been anything else. There's no other explanation. And so what I'm asking you is I get that sometimes that's where our mind goes. But I'm asking you over these few weeks to just begin to say, I'm going to act like that's not the way that I'm thinking. And I'm going to give it a real honest shot. I'm going to give prayer a real honest try. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig through some scripture today, work towards reorienting ourselves towards prayer. So Jeremiah chapter 33. In Jeremiah 33, Israel finds themselves in this terrible situation, like some terrible things have happened to them and some really terrible things are about to happen to them again. They're they're in their city. They've actually torn down houses in their city and big, big buildings just so they can use the wood to help secure their fence because they've got the Babylonians coming towards them and, and, and the Israelites, but this is a small community and the Babylonians is like the absolute biggest, baddest army in the world and that's who's coming towards them right now. And so it doesn't look very good for them. 
And this is the message in the midst of this fear, this thing that they know is coming. Jeremiah the prophet, he delivers this word from God. So Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 1. It says, While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the Lord gave him the second message. This is what the Lord says. The Lord who made the earth, who formed it and established it, whose name is the Lord, Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about the things to come. I love that. Do you hear that? God is telling them, and probably the same thing he says to us, Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you don't know about the things to come. Verse 4, he says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, You have torn down the houses of the city and even the king's palace to get materials to strengthen the walls against the siege ramps and swords of the enemy. You expect to fight the Babylonians, but the men of the city are already as good as dead. For I have determined to destroy them in my terrible anger. I have abandoned them because of all their wickedness. But then look at verse 6. It says, Nevertheless... The time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds and give it prosperity and true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel and rebuild their towns. I will cleanse them of their sins against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion. Then this city will bring me joy and glory and honor before all the nations of the earth. The people of the world will see all the good I do for my people and they will tremble with awe at the peace and prosperity I provide for them. God, we thank you for your word. And in this day when we just begin to, to, to look fresh at prayer and begin to reconsider that, may we just begin by saying thank you for your word. And thank you for that, God, when we read it, it is your very words and your very breath that come off the page. It's not just some old book. And so, God, I praise you for the gifts of Scripture. And I pray that you would speak to us through it today. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what if defeat was inevitable? So what if, imagine Katrina is coming, but only this time you know how bad it's going to be. But let's say it's going to be what happened in the very worst parts of the city is going to happen everywhere in the city. So if you live here at all, it's going to be as bad as it was, water over the roofs, everything destroyed. You know for sure that's going to happen, and it's going to happen everywhere. And then on top of that knowledge that you have, all of a sudden something happens with all the bridges and all the ways we can get out of the city, and now we can't leave. So you're stuck here. You know it's going to be terrible. You know it's going to be almost impossible to survive. And now you find out that you're absolutely trapped. This is what is happening to the people in this text. They know that the enemy that's coming, they absolutely cannot beat. They know that everything facing them is well beyond their ability, and yet they're trapped in the city. And all they can do is just delay the inevitable. But what if in the midst of all that despair, you get this message from God that says, yes, it's going to be bad, and everything you think is coming is absolutely coming, and it is going to be just terrible. But do this. Know this in the midst of it all. Know that your children will be back here and they will play in your yard again and and, and they will grow up and they will be married here and all the things that are absolutely going to be destroyed, they will all absolutely come back. In the midst of something absolutely terrible, doesn't that give you a sense of peace to know that even though I know it's going to be awful, on the other side God will be there. And on the other side, God is going to bring all these things back. Look what God says to these people. He says, ask me 
and I'll tell you all these secrets. Here's what happens. In the midst of fear and uncertainty about what job you're going to hold next, about what your kids are going to do when they grow up, about what your kids are doing tonight, you know, or whatever may be your fear about everything that's going on, God says you don't have to live in this sense of fear and uncertainty. There is a God who knows everything, knows absolutely everything, not in the same way that your spouse knows everything, but in a real way, knows everything. And he says, if you'll just ask me, I will tell you what the future holds. And I promise to restore you. I promise to make all things good. What I think he's saying to them is, if you'll pray to me, I'll give you some peace. If you'll just seek me out, I'll let you know everything that you need to know, and I'll give you some peace. And what I would tell you, tell you about prayer first and foremost is that you don't have to live in a state of uncertainty and you don't have to live in fear and you don't have to not be sure because when we pray, Scripture is pretty clear all throughout that God brings us peace when we pray. You got some financial uncertainty? Maybe it's not an enemy standing at your wall, but it feels much the same, right? It feels like you don't have a whole lot of options. And you got all those things bearing down on you. You got a family to support and you got all that different kind of stuff. And all those things are weighing on your mind and God says, "Pray to me, and I'm going to give you some peace." You got family uncertainty? Again, it's not like the Egyptians chasing you down and and you've got a a body of water in front of you and an army behind you, and it's not quite that. But, man, uncertainty in your family just never leaves your mind, and it just eats away at your conscience. And God says, you don't have to just sit there and take that. If you'll pray to me, I'll tell you the things that you need to know, and I will absolutely bring you peace. This is what he actually tells them, if this doesn't make you feel better in the beginning. He says, um, what's going to happen is the wall that you've built, it's absolutely coming down. And everything that you think is going to happen is going to be terrible. And you, you're kind of like, God, why would you tell them that? You know, well, like, why do they need to know that everything is going to be just as bad as they think it is? And, and it's just God being very honest and saying, it's going to get bad, but I am in charge, and in due time, I'm going to make all things well. And that's the peace that God brings, is for people that love him and that keep his commands, God has all things in his hand. And he says, if you'll pray to me, I'll remind you of that. As you process that idea and we dig a little deeper, I'll tell you about a a fallacy, a a thing that I do when it comes to prayer that is absolutely, completely wrong, and, and I would be willing to bet that you do this too. But sometimes uh, I do this really good thing about when things are uncertain. I pray to God and I ask for some peace. And God is very good to bring peace. And sometimes I'm really good at that part. But what happens, the other thing that happens is is really ugly and really counterproductive. Um, If you've been coming to this church for a few years, you know that we move every now and then. Uh, Specifically, we moved uh, three times in three years. And um, so, you know, we moved a lot. Um, our mantra sometimes is, if you can find us, come worship with us, right? Um, I get emails all the time that go, do you guys still meet here? And I respond to them, but nobody ever comes back. Um, here's what happened. We first started meeting. We, we knew that we weren't going to, we were 
that at least the first meeting we were going to be larger than we could fit in my house. Um, and so we, we first started meeting, so we wanted a place to meet. So, so we just prayed. We had no funds, no money, no, no, nothing really, you know, to, to secure something, any kind of a lease. So we just prayed, God, would you just make it clear? Just give us a place to meet. Jess and I were eating. Wasn't, weren't you and I? In, okay. Um, I'm getting confused about what happened. But we went to, we went to Fox and Hound. Uh, the manager's there. We say, hey, this is kind of what we want to do. And they're like, hey, our manager's here. She'll come talk to you. She came and talked to us. And, uh, and we told them exactly what we could pay. And we were sure they were going to, like, the hourly rate for what we wanted to do was, was going to be like 800 bucks a week. And we were like, well, we can give you like 150. And, uh, and they were like, yep, sure, that'll work. And, uh, and we were like, well, it's super easy. This is going to be easy. Let's go for like Magnolia Plantation now, you know. And so we just started, I just started researching, just asking everyone and doing, and, and everywhere, it was a closed door like you wouldn't believe. And so then in the very spiritual way that I am, I said, God, okay, we'll go meet at Fox and Hound. And so we went there and we went to meet there for a while. That began to be a little bit of a challenge. And so, um, honestly, I'll tell you that looking at the problems led me to, without praying, saying, where can we go next? I'm afraid Fox and Hound's going to close down. We're just going to show up and nobody's going to be here. And, uh, and that, that did happen after we moved. But, but I didn't spend a whole lot of time in prayer. We just researching we had a little bit bigger budget and so we could spend a little more we had some resources and so we started looking around and then we 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 found a place and so we found the place and we did all the work and then we said god would you please bless this move and then we made the move and then that was a real challenge. And then we were a little more strapped for cash because we were paying a lot of rent and we couldn't go back to Fox and Hound and we didn't have anywhere else to go. And so we were back where we started in that place where, where it had to be totally God. And so I began to pray, God, this is not working. It's really expensive. And, and you know, we got the clinging of bats in the background. You know, it's not, not bats. You, you were there. But, it, you know, it was just not really working, but we didn't have a whole lot of options. And so I began to pray, God, what do you want us to do? And, and so I didn't really have any plan. I met with Colby here, and we were talking about doing VBS together, and that was it. And, and then I was just telling him about our challenges with space, and he said, you should come meet at our space. And I was like, well, I mean, I didn't think of that. And, uh, and I said, well, really, if we're going to be financially healthy, this is all we can pay. And, um, and, and, and they met and, and all those things. And, and just like when we went to Fox and Hound, it just greased the wheels. And here we are with, I would say, so much more than we had there, paying the exact same amount as we paid at the beginning. And what's pretty incredible is when we prayed, God, only you can solve this. Will you please solve this problem? God was so good to solve the problem. And when we said, God, I'll solve the problem, will you please please bless it? We just got into bigger and bigger trouble. And that's the thing that I do with prayer. Unfortunately, sometimes as I lead the church, often in my own life is I say, God, this is the decision that, this is the decision I've made. This is the path I'm going to walk down. Would you please bless this path? And and when you look at the way God works in Scripture and, and you just think about who God is, all knowing, all powerful, and, and yet I'm like, God, you don't make the plan. I'm gonna make the plan. It just seems totally crazy. Vance Pittman, he's a pastor in Las Vegas, he articulated well the, the right way to do this. And this is what he says, and I think you see it in this passage. I sometimes say, God, I'm going to begin to work. I pray that you would bless my work. The way that it works is like this. Prayer is the work. 
then God works. Prayer is the work that we do. Prayer is the work, then God works, and then we just join God where he's already working. And so often, in a rush to get going, I do it exactly backwards. You see, long before Jeremiah 33, back in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, God says this, or this is what is said to the people. It says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. And then it says this, pray to the Lord for it, this peace of the city that you're going to. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray for its welfare. Pray for the Lord. Pray to the, I can't read today. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And so what he says way back is he says, pray to the Lord that he would do good things in the place that you are going. And then we skip forward to verse 33 and we see God saying, I will do great things there. The idea is that the people prayed and then God worked. And as you recognize the idea of, of that, that God says, if you will pray, then I will do some work. And then you read this scripture, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense why we don't just pray for everything we need. But look what God's word says about prayer in light of that. John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And, and this is something that gets misused all the time, but it is there. Look what it says. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Do you get that? That says, every time you pray and you have God's will in mind, he absolutely hears you. That, that's pretty good. Um, oftentimes when I talk to students at work, when I talk to Molly at home, when I talk to Jess at home, when she talks to me, we're not hearing each other, you know? Um, you know, sometimes, man, it, that's just such as life and communication, but it says every single time we come before God, he hears us perfectly. And even when we don't say it exactly well in our prayers, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and God hears exactly what we're trying to say. And then it says this, and since we know that God hears us when we make these requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Did you see that? Why do we not pray more? God says he will give us what we ask for. Why have I not asked for a huge raise? God will give me everything that I ask for. As you begin to emphasize prayer, recognizing that God does give us the things that we ask for, make sure you read this whole verse. Verse 14 says, We're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Here's the idea about praying to God and asking for things and God granting those things. David Platt, we say this in one of our Thursday night groups, but David Platt said it really well, and, and I like to, to quote him all the time. He says, here's how it works. Want what God wants and then ask for anything you want. That makes good sense, right? Want what God wants and then ask for anything you want. And then you will absolutely always get exactly what you want. Sometimes when we feel like our prayer is not being answered, and that's one of the reasons that we've turned off to prayer, is we've said, God, I asked for this and that and this and that, and I didn't get any of it. We have to stop and ask ourselves, have we aligned our wants with God's wants? Because every time we do that, God is so good to give us exactly what we've asked for. Have you aligned your wants with God's wants? 
I think about the church here. There was a time when, when we did something very simple. We said, we're just going to be a church that, that loves God and loves people. And we're going to try to tell people in Kenner and River Ridge and Harahan about Jesus. And now into Jefferson. And as we go to work, we're going to tell people in New Orleans and, and in Metairie and all the surrounding areas. We're just going to, our whole thing is going to be about loving those people, telling them about Jesus, building a church that joyously sends people you know, around the world to tell people about Jesus. And, and what happened to me somewhere in the middle is I just got a little busy. My daughter got a little older and became a little bit more work. And uh, my grass kept growing. And all those things kept happening. And all of a sudden, I just forgot to pray for God to do great things. And I forgot to spend the time to align my wants with God's wants on a regular and consistent and everyday basis. So what I ask you to do with me over the course of the night, and by the way, I didn't, I didn't mean to come in week one and tell you all the things I'm doing wrong, you know, when we talk about prayer, but I just began to pray a lot over the past couple of weeks preparing for this, and I was like, man, I don't pray enough, you know, and that's probably a real problem. So I just ask you to begin this renewed emphasis with me and with all of us, Um, praying to the God who brings peace and is all about bringing that. I ask you to begin that with a renewed emphasis of, of, of saying, God, let's just pray that we would want what God wants. And that's kind of where I'm beginning uh, walking this journey and walking over this few weeks is saying, God, can I want what you want? Which accordingly is, is exactly what God wants us to want. (laughs) But would you walk that with me and just say, God, will you help me want what you want? And as we talk about praying over the next few weeks and we begin to pray more, we're being shifted into people who have prayers that are absolutely answered. Would you do that? Would you pray that prayer? And then secondly, would you do this? Um, Would you join me in seeing where God is working and then getting on board with that? Because as we pray and we want what God wants and he begins to do things, things are going to happen. And that's going to be the direction that we need to walk in. And so I pray that you would join me in saying, God, what are you doing? That's where I want to be. Let me pray. God, I praise you for for this morning. God, I praise you that that you are not a God who when we have not spent good time in prayer and when we have not nurtured our relationship with you, you are not a God who says, you are away from me from all this time and and now you just expect to come back and be heard. But God, you don't hold grudges and, and you're not angry with us. But God, you just meet us in prayer. And so I, I just praise you for that, for all the mistakes I've made and all the lack of emphasis that I've put on prayer that you are still there and you are still absolutely ready to hear me. And God, I pray collectively for us that we would not be a people that say, God, what I really want is financial security and I want to totally feel good about where I am financially. What I really want is is, is, is a, a better job. What I really want, but God, first and foremost, we would say, God, what do you want? That's what I want. And God, I pray that that, that that would be our prayer over the course of, of this week and these few weeks and moving forward as God, that we would be people that want what you want. Amen.